drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment and I might get you know my head kicked in in the beginning but I'll find a way to survive I'll find a way to get the job done yeah there's a little doubt but you know what once again I think of that guy in my ear I think about stepping up to the stage I think about the challenge like I've lost sometimes but I've won more than I've lost and so like I bet on me any day Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo. A desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors. Thanks for listening to the show today. This is Mike here, and I just wanted to tell you real quickly about a festival coming up here in Ohio. It's called the Independence Day Festival, and it'll be right here in Columbus, September 17th and 18th. It's a two-day festival located in the heart of Columbus's vibrant East Franklinton neighborhood, and it's going to have a host of live music on multiple stages, an array of local art showcases, and some marketplaces featuring some of Ohio's most celebrated vendors. And we really think you should check it out. So head on over to thisisindependent.com. And it'll be linked in the show notes for, you, for those of you who are interested. And without further ado, let me introduce our guest, Dr. Alan Proctor. And Alan went to Harvard, where he earned his bachelor's degree, and then to the University of Wisconsin-Madison, where he earned a PhD in economics and forecasting. He's held many roles in the financial world, including the deputy budget director of New York City, the executive director of the New York State Financial Control Board, division chief of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, and CFO and vice president of Harvard. Alan is the founder and principal of Linking Mission to Money and the president and CEO of the Center for Social Enterprise Development, organizations that encourage social enterprise and help entrepreneurs looking to have a social impact grow their business here in central Ohio. He's also written two highly regarded books on social enterprise, More Than Just Money, Practical and Provocative Steps to Nonprofit Success, and Linking Mission to Money, Second Edition, Finance for Nonprofit Leaders. Welcome to the show, Alan. Thanks very much. Great to be with you both. That's awesome. How's your morning going so far? Good? Well, we're glad to know that it's uh, beautiful here in Columbus and totally overcast in San Diego, and that's the way it should be. (laughs) So Mike is in San Diego right now, still uh, soaking up his lazy vacation. Need to get back to Ohio and get back to work. But um, we're sitting here in in rainy weather in Ohio, which is a little bit unfortunate. Josh Josh didn't get annoyed at all with me for being in San Diego and (laughs) not being able to work on the podcast at times. Yeah, I'm a little bitter. But um, so, you know, Alan, we're really happy to have you today. And I think what's awesome about you, and among many things, is that um, both times I've met you, very humble guy. You don't talk a lot about, you know, you have a lot of major accomplishments. You've held a lot of very important roles. Um, but it seems like the main thing that you represent and you stand for is social enterprise and nonprofits. Um, you've written a lot of great books as well. And I don't think a lot of people, even across Columbus, know that people like a person like yourself is around the city. You know what I mean? Not like you have a huge social media following or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So it's really cool when Mike and I came across you and learned more about you, like, man, this guy is awesome. And I get bad. There's other people in Columbus don't even know he's here. So it's, it's really, really awesome to have you here. Um, but the first thing that we kind of want to jump into is talk about what you have going on now and, and what led you from college and your studying in economics to your passion for social enterprise and your passion for nonprofits. Wow. Do you want to start now or do you want to start long ago? You tell me. <laughs> um, where do you think it makes the most sense? Where do you think your story really starts to form? 
Well, I think like a lot of people, we really want to look for a way where we can kind of make a difference. Uh, we don't want to just do a job that um, that uh, pays the rent. We we want to kind of have our impact. And um, when I started out, there's just a lot of changes going on in the world. Um, it was in the late '70s. Uh, we were. Uh, uh, just started to enter a whole new era of uh, international diplomacy. Um, we just finished basically a decade of a continuous recession. Um, the homelessness epidemic was just launching, and uh, I was looking for ways in which um, I could really find uh, where there was some momentum going and uh, help it along. And in almost every uh, role I've played, often on the financial side, it's where where is an important institution or important structure um, having difficulties that if you can create a much clearer path of where they want to go and what are the barriers to that, um, you can really help make the world a better place. So somewhat idealistic, but we've been able to do it for a whole career, so I'm mm -hmm. really fortunate. Yeah, that's great. And now today, you know, I mean, one of your main things is linking mission of money. We can kind of kick it off and talk about what exactly does Lincoln Mission of Money do? What does your role look like with your clients? And um, let's just talk about that organization right now. Well, Lincoln Mission to Money is really tied into, into the notion that uh, one of the real purposes why we have organizations like nonprofits and now we have social enterprises as well is uh, to kind of really accomplish some form of social impact. But oftentimes what happens is, is we separate uh, those uh, lofty goals from our financial and budget decisions and we get a little too obsessed with are we running a deficit, are we making money, are we having cash flow and linking mission to money is, is uh, all about the notion of trying to make sure that your strategy and your mission are always linked into your finances uh, starting with basic things like in an organization um, what does your board talk about? In half the board meetings I've been to, they talk about yesterday. They don't talk about tomorrow. Uh, they uh, people have watched too much, uh, seen too many government hearings or school board hearings, and they think if you're on a board, you're supposed to basically be the tough guy and tell everybody that they're idiots. Whereas the real value of a board is perspective and strategy, and so how can you create mechanisms for them to do that? And give them a way to engage in how to, to guide and lead an organization forward. Uh, linking mission to money also gets into the notion of uh, what are our donors and investors thinking, you know? Um, we've had a lot of developments in the philanthropic world where it's almost more like uh, signing a contract for services than really giving money away. And how can we uh, kind of remind donors that this is all supposed to be about helping an organization do something that you can't do in the market. So linking mission to money is really about a grounding process of why are we doing this, how do we do it, how do we keep our eye on the ball. And that really ties very much into social enterprise. Social enterprise is, is in many ways a response, particularly here in central Ohio, to a community that never really experienced economic downturns before. You know, when you're in a, in a town that's got a university, and it's got a government, and it's got insurance companies, um, you often don't know what a recession is. And 
in this millennium, we've had two recessions, and uh, this, our community did not handle those recessions very well. Mm -hmm. uh, we saw homeless shelters closing in the middle of the shelters. We saw uh, counseling programs closing. We saw uh, clinics closing. We saw hours reduced. We saw um, food banks, uh, you know, not being able to uh, keep up with the demand. And social enterprise is basically a recognition that any organization that wants to have a social impact really kind of has to be in control of its own destiny. And that means not being dependent upon uh, or so heavily dependent upon uh, donations because when you hit a recession, two things disappear. Donations disappear and um, uh, general revenues disappear. And, you know, we often say, you know, nonprofits or social enterprises need to run themselves like businesses. And a lot of that's just snottiness. But there's some real core to it because when we look at a commercial business, what do we praise? We love it if they have a strong balance sheet. We love it if they have great cash flow. Sometimes we get a little bent out of shape if they're just about money. But there's been a long time that we penalized nonprofits for having strong balance sheets. We penalized them for um, being able to run surpluses or use that horrible word profit um, in order to become strong. And social enterprise is just a, a better way of thinking about it to say, if you really want to sustain what you're doing, you've got to develop some financial strength and you've got to be able to have revenue sources that aren't dependent upon the, the whims of philanthropy. Right. And, you know, in your YouTube talk, which Josh and I both watched and we'll have linked here in the show notes, you spoke a lot about how nonprofits need to be able to make money so that in times of recession, they'll have that money to fund their high mission causes. And a couple of the examples you used were uh, the zoo and a few others. But can you talk a little bit about what that means and how linking mission to money helps nonprofits accomplish this here in Columbus? Well, our, we have multiple roles. Um, uh, we really, I'd say we really have three, three different areas. And um, uh, one of them is what I call outreach. It's almost evangelism. Uh, people need to understand what social enterprise is. They have to understand that it's okay and that it doesn't create, it's not a magic bullet. So we spend a lot of time going out to uh, the chicken circuit, doing the rotaries and the Kiwanis meetings. We spend a lot of time going to forums like um, next week, uh, the Ohio Young Professionals Summit. We're going to be having three hours just on social enterprise giving them solid examples of specific social enterprises so it becomes something real to them. We spend a lot of time um, helping people and particularly boards understand that if you're starting a new business, you have to take risk and that it's okay if it doesn't work the first time. You know, we have, a we have so many double standards. Um, we have double standards of what's okay in the business world, but suddenly it's not okay when we talk about organizations that have social mission. We love, you know, this entrepreneurial spirit that takes risk, but then we tell a, a nonprofit it's got to balance its budget every year. Well, if you're starting something new, there's no possible way you're going to make money in your first year, 
any business that makes money in its first year probably isn't taking much of an innovation um, chance in what it's doing. So we do a lot of outreach on that, and we have a long ways to go. We still aren't at a stage in our community where the um, the people with means understand and are willing to invest in these types of businesses. Most of them are still bootstrapped and uh, they're basically growing with their own money and uh, hoping they'll be able to pay themselves someday. So that outreach is a, as, at this stage is very, very important because our community is um, behind the curve. Uh, right. The second thing we do is we, we do a lot of training and education. We do it through workshops. Uh, right now we have two fabulous programs. We generally uh, look for uh, programs that have worked well other places and import them. So uh, what we've imported from Nashville is a program called SE Catalyst, which is uh, what I'd call an eight-month immersion program for nonprofits because when you're already running a business, you can't move as fast as if you're spending 100% of your time on it. We have five terrific nonprofits that are working on developing a social enterprise, and it's coming along pretty well. It's in its fourth month. We've also brought from Cleveland a program called Sea Change, which is a 12-week accelerator, um, and it's kind of got a mix of individuals doing a startup, um, organizations that businesses that are kind of have been around for about a year but really need to jumpstart their growth, and we have a few nonprofits that are hoping they can keep up to the pace. So um, we have two big programs that are working very intently, intensively with uh, 20 organizations, uh, 20 entrepreneurs to try to get something going. The, um, uh, we also uh, we do workshops uh, to help people give some basic skills. We had a workshop just last month just on measuring social impact because, you know, it's easy to talk about financial returns, but... It's not so good to talk about, not so easy to talk about, well, what difference did we make? Are we measuring it? Do people understand it? And we, we do a lot of programs. We just finished a pilot with the Fisher College of Business this last semester on connecting Six Sigma a continuous improvement methods with an enhancing social enterprise. And we just finished our evaluation of that semester and we're going to expand it and, um, bring organizations into it for a, a, a four-semester sequence so they can really make a difference. Um, we are uh, very actively uh, working with social enterprises to be able to help describe their social impact. Uh, we originally thought it would be a quick thing, but it's turned out it's, it's an education process um, to be able to learn how to describe your social impact and how to quantify it. Uh, you know, if we really want this community to support social enterprise, it's not much of a story to say, well, yeah, I'm a, I'm a good guy. I help people. Well, they say, what difference do you want to make? It's kind of great that a, a restaurant like Double Comfort can say, because of the people who have come to eat at our restaurant, we've been able to provide 80,000 meals through the food pantry system in the last year. Now that people understand. Hmm. Or to be able to say that... Uh, uh, at Clean Turn, we've been able to uh, provide jobs to 20 people that were ex-offenders or, or drug offenders who have been able to maintain a stable life and stable employment for over 12 months. People understand that. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, we do a lot on the education front. 
the third area that we're really working on is trying to identify sources of capital, um, whether they're homegrown or out of town, that we can channel into our, uh, into our social enterprises. I'm really looking forward to this summer in late July. It looks like we're finally going to have a launch of a Kiba Columbus program, which is a micro zero interest micro loan program that I think will be uh, will channel local capital into local businesses. We're our center for social enterprise development will focus primarily on social enterprises. For a lot of our businesses. You know, uh, an interest-free loan of up to $5,000 can help them buy a key piece of equipment. Um, right now, they don't have access to the banking system. They can't afford a 12% loan from ECDI. They're in no position to offer a personal guarantee against a loan. And banks want to see substantial three years of revenue track record. So where do they get this money and this notion of this of running your credit card up to its limit to start a business is a little more risk than I think we should ask our entrepreneurs to take on. So I'm excited about the Keep a Columbus program. The other thing we're doing on the capital side is uh, we're bringing in a program from New York City. It's called Pipeline Angels, which focuses on an area where Columbus is really behind the curve. In Columbus, the startup world is still dominated by men. Uh, their boards are dominated by men. Uh, the sources of capital are dominated by men. Globally, it's a woman's world. And Pipeline Angels is a way to uh, train the women of means in this town to be angel investors in social enterprises. And we're really excited about that. We'll be starting uh, recruiting people to join that program, uh, which commences in September. So those are some examples of how we're trying to do outreach. We're trying to do training and education in this, um, help businesses get get on their legs and get started and help identify ways to channel capital into these businesses so they can actually thrive. That's really cool. There's two things, you know, that I, I got from that, that what you're talking about with it's a woman's world. I actually just got done at uh, the Women's Fund annual event I went to mm -hmm. last week. Wasn't that great? Yeah, it was awesome. And, and we brought in some people from Pipeline Angels to come to that event. That's great. Yeah, well, it was a really good turnout. An awesome theater and just everything about it and the the message and you feel almost you get chills in, in the room with some of the things that they brought up and they talked about mm -hmm. and uh, we have Nicole Dunn that's going to be on our episode here in about a week so Terrific. that'll be a great episode. She's a great advisory board member of ours. Yeah, that's awesome. And and then Kiva hopefully will have an episode with Reese Nieder mm -hmm. um, in the next month so we'll be able to cover that. But I think my initial questions are currently is Lincoln Mission Money, are you more of like a, a consultant as a one-man team and there are multiple people there? Um, and are you guys targeting nonprofits or are you targeting um, corporations that want to branch off and have a nonprofit arm? Um, let me comment that a couple of different ways. Okay. Uh, Lincoln Mission to Money is a consulting firm that uh, I started in 2001. Right now, um, I'd say probably 120% of my time is spent on running the Center for Social Enterprise Development where we're focusing uh, exclusively on trying to create a, a really effective ecosystem. We launched this center in the summer of 2014. Um, we've gotten off to a good start. Um, we've been able to really uh, attract the support of some of the major players in town, um, all the major foundations, L Brands Foundation, AEP Foundation, Safe Light Foundation, 
the Columbus Foundation, uh, the Huntington Foundation, and the Business of Good Foundation out of Cleveland are some of our major supporters. Um, we, uh, we are focusing both on nonprofits and on uh, for-profits. Uh, fundamentally, a social enterprise is for-profit. So you're really asking the question of who owns the social enterprise. Sometimes it's uh, owned and run by a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. They may choose to run it like a department, or they may choose to create a subsidiary. Um, good example is our local Columbus Zoo and Aquarium. Mm -hmm. uh, they have uh, the Zufari Golf Course, mm -hmm. which is run like a department inside their nonprofit. Mm -hmm. And they have Zumbezi Bay, which is run as a separate for-profit wholly owned subsidiary. So there's a lot of different ways you can organize. I think the motives are slightly different. A nonprofit has a pre-existing mission that uh, can't be fully supported by philanthropy and they've decided to start uh, another business in order to uh, supplement philanthropy. Uh, Goodwill stores are a great example. Um, uh, Equitas, formerly named uh, uh, ARC Ohio, AIDS Resource Center Ohio, um, runs a pharmacy. It now pro provides over one and a half million dollars a year they don't have to fundraise for. Uh, to run their clinics, um, that's often the motive for uh, for a nonprofit. Where I, where I see uh, the bulk of the energy in our town right now is um, uh, young people under age thirty five are saying, "I want to start my own business and I want to make to make a difference." Um, sometimes they're organizing as a nonprofit. Um, sometimes they're organizing with for profit. Uh, unfortunately, they made that decision before they knew what their business plan was um, uh, because how you organize should depend on what your business needs. But I'd say the vast majority are uh, small for-profit businesses um, that are being started by an individual or a group of individuals, sometimes on their own, sometimes through these um, really energizing weekends like Give Back Hack uh, that... Uh, help a group of people kind of find each other around an important cause and, and really formulate a business plan. Our Sea Change program has um, three Give Back Hack alumni um, in, in that accelerator. The, um, so uh, the nonprofits kind of come with a different motivation. The independent social enterprises kind of started on their own, but they're really not that different. Uh, sometimes it's harder to see. Um, COSA is a good example. Um, uh, they don't use the term social enterprise, but because of their focus on earned revenues, uh, they've been able to, in, to grow by 50% in the last 10 years without increasing their fundraising by a dime. Uh, they actually bought a for-profit consulting firm three years ago that's now throwing off over $150,000 a year of profits to support uh, COSA's programming for uh, for kids. Mm -hmm. And I apologize if I'm missing it, but what, how do you particularly find the difference between a nonprofit and a social enterprise? So I think maybe I'm getting those mixed up and confused. Well, a nonprofit, uh, technically called a 501c3 charitable organization, is a regulated business organized as a trust. Uh, you can't own a nonprofit, so uh, the board owns it. Um, the uh, it is uh, what makes it different is a it can't have investors so that channel for growth is eliminated 
They can get donations that the donor can deduct from their taxes. And in many jurisdictions, certainly in ours, um, they're exempt from uh, paying sales tax on their, pur their purchases. A social enterprise is a, is a word that um, many people have different definitions. Uh, our position right now is we let a business self-identify as a social enterprise. But technically, a social enterprise is a business that uses commercial principles to achieve a social impact uh, rather than focusing on providing a return to its shareholders. Okay. So uh, some of our social enterprises are organized as LLCs. Um, some are organized as C-Corps. We have one in town called Azadi. It's a C-Corp, just like any other publicly owned business. Um, some are organized as what's called an L3C, which is a low-profit, low-profit limited liability company, um, and some are organized as 501c3s. It's such a new area in our community that um, there hasn't been a, a deliberate approach to how to organize. So that's the long answer to your question of a nonprofit technically is a business that's gotten this, has applied to the IRS for special tax exemption privileges and the IRS has said you indeed are creating a social impact in one of the nine areas authorized by the Internal Revenue Code. A social enterprise has chosen not to apply for that because um, many people who put all of this effort and sweat into starting a business want to be able to own that business and want to be able to control that business. Hey guys, thanks a lot for listening today. We're just going to take a really quick break to support Columbus, Ohio native Lewis Howes, who is bringing an amazing event back to the city September 29th through October 1st, the Summit of Greatness. At this event, Lewis is bringing together some of the most inspiring leaders in the world to speak, but most importantly, the event's designed with the individuals attending in mind and at the forefront to help them get the most out of the weekend. You can listen to Lewis describe it himself at thesummitofgreatness.com. You can also find the itinerary there, the list of speakers, and pick yourself up some tickets. Thanks a lot to Lewis for bringing this back to Columbus. And without further ado, let's get back to the episode. Interesting. Yeah, hey, we, along with that, though, when you talk about having investors and stuff, one of the disadvantages of having investors is that sometimes you maybe aren't in control of the own business you own. Even if you're the majority shareholder, whoever's providing the money has a lot of say in what you do with your business. So I guess my question is, as a, as a um, social enterprise, if, if I took investors' money, how do I keep my investors happy while still accomplishing my mission, my long-term goal? Does that make sense? Well, I understand your question. In, in the startup world, um, the kind of investors you attract are special kind of investors called angel investors. And an angel investor is different than these... Um, Silicon Valley venture funds who just want to earn huge amounts of money and, and kind of control. Um, in general, um, social enterprises never deal with venture investors. Um, an angel investor is a special kind of investor that wants your business to succeed. Yes, they do want to get their money back, but they really want to help you. And when you're starting a business, you want to be very selective in who you accept as an investor. 
You want to accept as investors individuals who aren't just writing you checks, but they have a particular expertise that you need to make your business successful. So it's a partnership at the angel stage. Um, I do a lot with um, Rev1 Ventures and the Ohio Tech Angels Fund, been in a lot of due diligence teams, um, done a lot of investments in uh, these businesses. And at this stage, your investor isn't anyone who writes a check. It's someone who's supporting what you do, has a lot of skills, and is able to write a check. It's almost like creating an advisory board. So while I understand your concern, it, we aren't really at that stage here, and in general, that's not the kind of person who invests in a social enterprise, because think about it. If you were to invest in uh, a restaurant like Cameron Mitchell that is a commercial restaurant and it wants to make a lot of money, or you were to invest, invest in um, Roosevelt Coffee House, or Double Comfort Restaurant, or Hot Chicken Takeover. What you want is you want to help ex-offenders, ex help feed the uh, hungry families, or uh, want to uh, help um, deal with human trafficking. You're not aiming for the same financial return as someone who's investing in Cameron Mitchell restaurants. You want to help those people, so you aren't aiming for a huge financial return you want to get some money back because, hey, you'd like to get your investment back, though most angel investors don't get their money back. And you'd like to get a 3 4% return. But your main focus is that social impact. And that's also why we spend a lot of time at the center helping these social enterprises be able to measure and report on their social impact. I think that's a, that's a great clarification between venture capital and angel investing. I think a lot of people don't either know what the difference is or they never really got that granular with it. So that's good. Um, but well, my question is, so I'm a startup or I'm, I'm a young wannabe entrepreneur in the Columbus community. Should I, I mean, I want to make money. I want to create something that I'm proud of though. Should I feel wrong for wanting to make a lot of money and not having a social Im impact side to it? I mean, is there, is there a certain thing that I should focus on? And, you know, even if you're a person, uh, maybe I'm making this question too long, but even if you're a person who has, achieve significant success and you know what you want to start investing, what, what is it that makes me want to invest in a social enterprise where I'm only going to return 3% or if I could go to some other business where I think I could return 10, you know? I'm great you asked it. Now, I'll come at it several different ways. I, I blogged about a month ago. There's an article in the New York Times about a social enterprise that actually um, was on Shark Tank. Mm -hmm. And the guys on Shark Tank are the most abusive investors I've ever heard of. I want 50% of your company for $200,000. They're, they're pigs. And um, the guys literally said it was, a, it was a social enterprise that produces high-end socks. And for every pair of socks that someone buys, it's created a specially designed, very durable, special wicking sock that it has created an extensive distribution network to give them away through homeless shelters in New York City. And this guy on Shark Tank said exactly what you asked. Why do I want to invest in your business when I can make more money if I invest in the other business? And you know what? Those guys don't get it. They're not the people who will ever invest in a social enterprise. There's a whole class of people who realize, you know, how much money do I really need in order to live a comfortable life? 
you know, and to be an angel investor, uh, you have to, under the IRS rules, there's some exceptions that we won't get into today, but generally you have to be what's called an accredited investor, mm -hmm. which means your annual income is over 200000 a year, and your, your net worth, not including your home, is over a million dollars. People who are accredited investors, many of them have said, I make two hundred grand a year, I got more than a million dollars, why do I need a 10% return? I can do some good here. You know, so I want to take some of my investments and make a difference in the world. The same motivation that a social entrepreneur has. So there, yes, there's a whole class of people who just want to make money from investments. They're not going to invest in this space. And that's fine. That's fine. Um, what we need to do is those who are inclined to understand that it's, you, can, you can help your community by not just writing charitable donations to nonprofits, you can actually help your community by investing in these startup social enterprises. The other part of your question was, um, what's wrong with wanting to start a business to make a lot of money um, and do some good? Well, um, let's talk realistically. Um, six out of ten startup businesses fail. Um, they usually fail because they started for the wrong reasons. They didn't have a good market. So um, you're right. Anyone who starts a business is taking a risk, and maybe they should get some special return. But I have to tell you um, that having worked in government at a fairly high level for a long time, worked in the universities, worked with nonprofits, there is a substantial proportion of our population that want to make a difference and the idea of getting rich is not interesting to them at all. That's kind of where I am. You know, some of the hardest jobs I've ever done were the lowest paying. Uh, making a lot of money doesn't mean it's a better job or it's a harder job. It means you make more money. And some people that's important to them and some people say it isn't. And one of the things that I think is really energizing social enterprise in central Ohio is among the millennial generation a vast number say I don't want to just work for a company that's just about making money I want to work for a company that's going to make a difference and in almost every survey in the United States what they find is that people who make eighty thousand dollars a year are able to satisfy most all of their basic needs and desires. So the question that I would pose to someone who thinks they have to become a millionaire is, what are you going to do with the money? Mm -hmm. What is it you want? Are you trying to prove something? Well, you can prove you're a good person by your deeds, not just by your bank account. And in any way, why do you want to tell people what's in your bank account anyway? You know, um, Why do you need to have uh, you know, the huge car and the big house? Some people that's fine, and that's okay for them. But there's a lot of people in our world who believe that there's more to life than that. And those are the people who will start social enterprise. Those are the people who invest in social enterprise. Those are the people who want to work for a social enterprise. I think that one of the problems that kind of comes to the core of your question is if you really want to become really rich, you are going to come to a point in your business where you're going to have to choose between that company becoming big and really profitable 
and still achieving your social impact. Mm -hmm. That's what linking mission to money is all about. The financial pressures make you want to walk away from your social impact. So at some point, you're going to find that you, having both is not practical. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think that goes back to, from what from you know, interpreting this correctly, being self-aware when you start on what you really want in 10 years from where you are after this business, what you want to look back on, whether you wanted to know that you had a social impact or you had a lot of money in your bank account. And I think you hear a lot of entrepreneurs say when they hit to that money threshold and they have what you said, the amount that $200,000 a year, they're living comfortably, they don't need money for anything else, but they're still not feeling fulfilled. And maybe if they step back at the beginning and they made something that would make a difference and that they're passionate about, they could look back at 10 years and hopefully still have money and be comfortable, but at the same time be able to rest and have comfort on that they've created something that's worth um, adding value to society. But well, you know, you can start your career by wanting to make a difference and making an impact, or you can get halfway through your career and decide that making money didn't make you feel very good. I'd say the most common networking call I get is from someone in their mid to late 40s who said, you know, I'm not being fulfilled by what I do. Um, but let me come back to a, another thing that I think it's important to realize. When you start a social enterprise, you start with a different set of questions and challenges than when you're just starting a business. Uh, any business has to deal with what they call the value proposition. Why would someone want to buy your product or service, mm -hmm. the value proposition? But a social enterprise actually has two value propositions, and it has to focus on both of them right away, and it's one of the big things we've been focusing on in uh, our accelerator program with these new startups, because uh, it's, it's a different way of thinking. If, if I have a social enterprise, I have a value proposition for the product and service, and I have to make sure it's valuable, that someone will really buy it because they think they're getting something worthwhile out of it. But I also have a social impact that has another value proposition. And those two value propositions sometimes can make you charge a better price. More often they are a tiebreaker between the social enterprise and a non-social enterprise. Um, but you can't have an inferior product or service. It's got to be good. It's got to be just as good as any, as any competitor. But you've got to focus on that other social enterprise. And right at the beginning, you will confront the notion that you are designing your business differently than if you just cared about making money. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really foundational. And uh, someone who wants to become rich, I think, will run into that dilemma right at the beginning if they're talking about starting a social enterprise. That's a pretty good insight there, Alan. And it kind of reminds me of a YouTube video that I wanted to ask you about. And I'm not sure if you've ever seen it. It's from a guy named Adam Ruins Everything, and he's talking about the buy one, give one model, specifically with Tom's shoes and how even though it seems good from the outside looking in, Tom's shoes is actually making huge profits and it doesn't cost them very much to give away their shoes to um, kids and people who wouldn't have shoes otherwise. While at the same time, it can damage the local economies in these places because it's putting shoemakers out of business and uh, may not be the exact impact that they're looking to have. So my question is, how can social enterprises make sure that they're still applying their mission and staying dedicated to their mission once the profits start coming in and keep themselves from getting distracted by the profits? Well, um, 
you have to really think about what your social impact is and think about how you do it. So let's talk about it. Um, uh, a, I started out, my first job is at the World Bank, so I'm very familiar with the economic development world. Um, the, the, what, what that complaint that you recite was the um, give a fish, teach them to fish problem. Um, and I think uh, practically speaking, um, uh, and this is true even in our local community, um, uh, do you want to just provide people through food banks to help them feed and kind of give them low-income housing? Or do you really want to help them get a stable job so they can afford to do it for themselves? Well, the reality is uh, giving them the fish in the short term is necessary. Sometimes the harder problem is, is the teaching how to fish problem. But let's talk about Tom specifically. So if your goal was to help people and to help strengthen the economy in a community in Africa, um, there's many, many decisions in that. A, he is making a shoe, but he's also sending a shoe to Africa. He's having to distribute it into Africa, and he's having to basically, at the retail end, provide a shoe to a person at the end. Is he going to do it all through his own people that, uh, he, that he pays? Is he going to use it to help um, create a shoe store culture in Africa? Is he going to use it to help create effective distribution that can go from port into rural communities? Um, you know, those are all parts that Tom's, and I don't know enough about it, but he could use that to develop a lot of jobs, a lot of local jobs into that. The shoe repair business. Well, you know, what's happened to the shoe repair business in America? You know, um, I'm looking at your shoes right here in this room. There isn't <laughs> a single pair of shoes that a cobbler could repair. And I'd like to know how many pairs of shoes that uh, the listeners of this own that actually a cobbler could fix and maintain. Um, so sometimes it's a business that's just not going to thrive anyway, and you want to create some other jobs. But that issue of um, are there ramifications to what you do is something to be aware of. But I would frankly want to be a little skeptical of the cheap criticism. Um, I could say, you know, providing kids uh, um, free breakfast at school is letting their parents off the hook. So you're undermining the family culture if the parents aren't getting up on time to feed their kids. Well, okay. How are you going to transform a family? That's pretty hard. And it's changing a family culture. Do you want a kid to go hungry in the meantime until you solve the big problem? So it's very complicated. And I'd be very um, skeptical of the glib criticism of someone doing it well. More, I'd ask the question, how can Tom Shoes take their model and make it an even more effective way to help to create and develop jobs in the local community? But you're actually bringing up a, an issue that's very close to my heart. I'd say the most popular social enterprises and the big bucks that huge foundations are putting into social enterprise are all sending $10 million projects to Africa or to Latin America. Who's doing something for Franklinton here in central Ohio? Who's doing something to you know, the Near East side? Who's doing something to the South side that's just lost a whole bunch of jobs? It's not as sexy as going to Africa. And to me, social impact has to start at home. And that means small small social enterprises that are just getting going, mom and pop, not going to be famous, but are going to make a difference. And there's a quote that I love that was from 
of Mother Teresa, and I won't have it perfect, but I'll try, she said. It was just a drop of water in the ocean. But after that drop, the ocean will never be the same again. So let's not ignore the importance of small efforts in small neighborhoods for small businesses and not get totally occupied by the romance of big global, big things throw tens of million dollars at a problem. And if you take one thing from this episode, I think that could be it. It's huge. I think a lot of people, like you say, they want to focus on the big vision. And, you know, if I'm helping Africa, I can tell my buddy that I just did all this stuff in Africa. But it's about what we're doing in our own backyard and how we're growing our own economy, which is awesome. And I think it almost starts, and the reason I, I love economics and I love people who study economics, I have such respect for them, is because you can look and you can criticize a problem and on the surface, but economists look on the back and see that there's a million different parts on that. So, you know, like you said, like somebody could criticize Tom because they're taking out shoe businesses there. For one, is that true? If it is true, you know, are they increasing shoe repair businesses? Are they increasing jobs for people who have to distribute the shoes, which I think you were getting at there, which is something that a lot of people, um, they just don't think about. And I think that's an awesome perspective. And I think people are a little too quick to judge um, whether it's a business or an individual on whether it's political issues or economic issues before they really know all the different variables that go into that issue, which is a really cool thing. But my question here is, if I'm a corporation, maybe, for example, I'm um, L Brands or I'm very profitable, I've made a very large success for myself, why should I, instead of just writing a really quick check and focusing on growing my business even more, create maybe a social enterprise arm or a nonprofit arm, like you said, so I'm a, I'm a low-mission, high-profit organization, why do I want to create a high-mission, low-profit arm when I can just write a check? Um, this kind of comes to an issue that Elon Musk has been arguing. And um, uh, let me first respond to your Elbrand's question. Um, and Elon, if you're listening, we'd love to have you as a guest. <laughs> um I think it's important to recognize our skills, our talents, and what we can do. Uh, right now, um, L Brands is a company that started in the 1960s. It's extremely large, uh, very hard to manage something that large. Um, what can they do? Well, first, they, they're one of the most generous foundations in the city, mm -hmm. so you can't criticize them for that. Second, they have an extraordinary active uh, volunteer program. They require all their senior managers to be on nonprofit boards. They require their staff to volunteer. Um, a lot of our big companies now are using the uh, terrific uh, program put out by one of our social enterprises, BESA, in town, um, to be able to focus and organize uh, their staff to have volunteer days. Uh, the trend in, in corporate philanthropy is away from cash and towards loaned executives and uh, volunteers. And I love the loaned executive notion because to take someone who's one of the most brilliant uh, marketing executives you have and ask him to unload boxes at a loading dock is nice, but how about loaning them to? Uh, they're loaning them to companies to to nonprofits and to social enterprises to help develop an effective marketing plan. That's their strength, and and I think that's an effective way for them for them to do it. Uh, and that's what a lot of our large companies are. They're writing checks. They're channeling their volunteers towards the nonprofits. And they're uh, getting their skilled uh, uh, executives onto boards of these organizations to help them um, develop what they're doing. 
So um, I, I think that's and when you're a big company, your options are different. Why would they want to start a tiny business as a startup? That's not where their skill set is anymore. They're huge. Now to go to Elon Musk. Elon Musk is making uh, made an argument which I totally reject because it's totally focused on power and money. He says, why should I want to be a nonprofit executive earning maybe $100,000, um, running an organization, subordinate to a board, um, you know, with all these people over my head, when I can be Elon Musk, earn a billion dollars, literally buy the nonprofit or business and run it the way I want to. And it's like, well, Elon Musk, you're a mid-career guy who now wants to make a difference, but you're focusing on how to be powerful. I don't think you're really focusing on how to make a difference. So um, I reject that as a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a criticism of people who jump in from the beginning. And frankly, I take it personally because I jumped in at the beginning and I think it's made my life far more personally rewarding than I bet his life is outside of the size of his bank account. Mm -hmm. So there, Elon Musk. <laughs> take that. Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting perspective. And I've never really thought about it that way. You know, Elon Musk gets a lot of attention because he's he's rich, he's famous, he's powerful, and you know the people are generally fans of him because he seems like he's trying to do good with the you know with Tesla and SpaceX and and trying to improve the environment through electrical cars. But what makes him any more important or famous than the guy who spent his whole life here in his local community working for nonprofits trying to make his local community better? But maybe doesn't get the same amount of attention as a guy like Elon Musk does. If you take his story literally, Mother Teresa was a loser. Yeah. Yeah, that is a different perspective. And you know, another thing that I've always bothered about me when people bring out Elon Musk, he wants to bring people to Mars, and I don't think we should start Elon Musk bash session at the end of this episode. But what I think I don't like about that is the fact that I said there's so much more that you can do on Earth. Why do you want to take people to Mars? You know, and I think that goes back to this so much you can do in your own backyard, why do you want to branch out? Well, I think the real issue, uh, to move it away from Elon Musk, I, I think the real issue is what's wrong with small? Mm -hmm. What's wrong with making a local impact? You know, if you're talking about, let's just talk about economics. Most of the jobs in this country are provided by small businesses. So that's what's making our economy work. What we know about, because of popular media, is the big ones. But let's not disparage the small ones and the small efforts. Not and at the same time, why? I worked. I worked down in the lower end of Manhattan for twenty years, and I saw lots of young people who came to work in Wall Street. They worked a hundred hours. Uh, they uh, their private lives were miserable. Um, they uh, they weren't happy. They were getting big checks. And lo and behold, they get their bonus, you know, for uh, $500,000 and they think they were the greatest thing on earth till the person in the next cubicle got 510000 and they were miserable. And, you know, the notion of focusing yourself on something that's not giving you satisfaction and happiness so that when you're 48 years old, you can do something that's giving you satisfaction doesn't strike me as a very happy way to live a life. Um, people can do what they want, and I don't judge them, but I don't think we should judge people that want to make a difference starting right out with their first job. That's awesome. I think that's huge, and I think 
that's a good way for us to kind of wrap up here. I'm taking about 50 minutes of your time already. I'm really appreciating you having been on the show and uh, awesome to have you as a guest. I think really key takeaways, normally I try to go through five or ten, but I think the big synopsis of everything we've said here is to think about if you are creating a business, not being scared to start small, and in 10 years, what's your impact going to be? Is it going to be that you have a lot of money and that's what's going to make you happier? Is it going to be you know, what you gave to the community and what you created and what kind of difference you made? I mean, I think that's huge to our Columbus community. I think all of our listener base, if they can put a focus on what are they going to give back to the people around them within this community, um, we're going to build to the place that we want to be. And we don't have to worry about having $10 billion exit startup companies. You know, we can have a couple small business, two, three million dollars that are doing good things for the society. And that'll really help us to be where we need to be. Absolutely. And, and you know, for the listeners who want to get a better handle on it, Go to our website, C-I-N-C-O-H-I-O.com, syncohio.com. Um, we got blogs uh, that will give you tons of links to, uh, to ideas on that. Uh, go to our Facebook page, um, Sync Ohio. Um, you'll see all that's going on and all of the local businesses that are doing something. It's amazing. That Facebook page seems to change every 14 seconds. Uh, there's so much going on. So um, don't think you're by yourself. Don't think you're, uh, you're uh, you know, doing something that nobody else is doing. There's a lot of partners, a lot of friends, a lot of colleagues that are really in this space. Uh, check out the resources we have to see what's there. And if you like it, plug into it or send me an email. Be happy to talk to you. That's awesome. We'll link all that in the show notes as well. And uh, again, thanks again, Alan. And this is Conquering Columbus. You want to go ahead and sign us off, Mike? Hey, you got it. Hey, thanks for listening, Conquerors, and we'll talk to you next week. You could drop me anywhere on the planet, in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.